Season 9 and Beyond the Plate is brought to you by our friends at Ford's Gin. Ford's Gin, a gin created to cocktail. All right, let's start with an audio test here. For our audio test, we usually like to have our guests name two or three of something. So for you all, let's each name two restaurants or places you've all experienced exceptional hospitality other than your own, of course. Molly, let's start with you. Two places. Oh, exceptional hospitality. I would say Bavette's here in Chicago is one of my favorites to go to. They have good, quiet hospitality. And then come back to me for my second one. Let me think for a second. You put me on the spot. Jared? The first place that came to mind, I was just at High Sioux a couple of weeks ago, and I had a fantastic meal and amazing hospitality from the server to the managers, the food runners. Everyone that stopped by the table was really hospitable and friendly. So that's where my mind went, and I'm trying to think of my second as well. You're good. We may be going with one here. How about you, RJ? (laughs) I got two. Oh, good. Last week... Or two weeks ago, we we're opening a restaurant in Disney World, and I took the whole team to Boathouse, which is a Gibson's restaurant. And there's about 15 or 18 of us, and we just had unbelievable service from start to finish. They were the server did a great job of taking control of like an unruly group that was ordering. He said, "I'm going to bring out stuff," and like made the job really easy. He's like, "Why don't we just pick one red, one white?" Everyone. He was just really in charge of the table and totally different feel. But over the summer, I was at uh, Le Duc restaurant in Paris, and. It's a very small little French seafood restaurant. And the owner, Dominique, is just like the sweetest guy ever. And, you know, the exact opposite. One's a 500-seat restaurant. One's a 40-seat restaurant that doesn't even try to be busy, but totally different. Great experiences. Interesting. All right. You all sound good. Let's do it. Hey, everyone. I'm Cappy, and you're listening to Beyond the Plate, the duo season. I'm a chef by trade and hospitality professional. By day, I head up Rachel Ray's culinary operations and co-founded her cooking and kids charity called Yummo. Six years ago, I had the idea to put together a podcast where we sit down with the world's culinary elite to explore their journey into the food industry and the social impact they have made in their communities. Hence, the name Beyond the Plate. If you're new to the pod, welcome. If you've listened before, we're so glad you're back. This season, we're featuring some of the greatest restaurant and hospitality duos in the industry. And we're grateful to our partners who make this podcast a reality. With that, as you just heard, this episode is brought to you by our friends at Ford's Gin. Here's the deal with Ford's, everybody. We all know seeing a bunch of different gin bottles at a bar or a restaurant or a liquor store can be a little daunting. Ford's Gin was crafted by bartenders for bartenders and at-home bartenders alike to make a really good gin cocktail. Simon Ford noticed bartenders had various go-to gins for different classic gin cocktails and thought... Why not make a gin that bartenders could use that would work perfectly in all of these drinks while keeping it at an accessible price? So that's what he did. Speaking of gin bottles at restaurants, Cappy, you were sharing with me earlier about a bartender exchange you had. So I feel like the listeners need to hear it as well. Totally. I'm happy to share it. It was actually a Lettuce Entertain You restaurant, which all three guests from today's episode are from. Well, can't wait for today's episode, but wait, can I just share how good these Beyond the Drinks have been this season? I'm absolutely loving it. I'm not just saying that. I would love nothing more than for you to cut me off to share because this season's Beyond the Drinks are A+. You know how A+, we even know it is? My father ran into him yesterday and he came up to me to be like, I've listened to all the Beyond the Drinks. And he's like, I'm trying to keep up with all the different recipes. He's like, some of the drink names are crazy, but I've He's like, I just love them, like all the different drinks you guys are throwing at us. So 
he approved by Richard Cohen. Richard Cohen, we will take your listenership. Um, yeah, great bartenders. London, Australia, like some of the biggest names in the world. It's been great. Anyway, back to that story. So I was at this new-ish lettuce entertaining restaurant called Maru, which is in the St. Regis here in Chicago. It's a fantastic Japanese restaurant. And to be honest, there's no real point to this story. It was just super cool. My wife and I sat at the bar right before we got our table and I ordered a Negroni and I asked for Ford specifically which the bartender grabbed from the shelf and made me a cocktail with Fords. And he asked if there's a certain reason why I asked for Fords, which I appreciated because sometimes a bartender just, you know, makes your drink and they don't, you know, they'll follow up, yeah. follow up with it. So I was, I like yeah, that. it was cool. So I was, you know, sharing why I love Fords and about the podcast a little bit and about Simon Ford. And then a couple other bartenders that worked there also came over to uh, listen and learn about it, which I, coming from the industry, I appreciated. It was pretty cool. Anyhow, I'm going to let everybody get to this week's episode, but super quick. One of the things we love about our partners here at Beyond the Plate is how they all give back and Fords does so within the bartending community, um, which makes complete sense. And if you've listened to any Beyond the Drinks earlier this season, we've had a couple of Fords brand advocates on talking about how they give back to the community, whether it's supporting events or fundraisers, they just have always given back, you know, having the bartending community in mind, which, which makes complete sense. So to learn more about Ford's Gin, go to Ford'sGin.com and follow them on social media at Ford's Gin. Please drink responsibly. Ford's London Dry Gin, 45% ABV, Brown Foreman, Louisville, Kentucky. Ford's Gin is a registered trademark. Ford's Gin, we thank you. On to the episode. Hey everyone, one more thing. The team behind Beyond the Plate is excited to bring you a brand new podcast called Clean Play Club. Clean Play Club is a kid and family friendly podcast that is kind of like story time, but with recipes. Listen along as we share delicious dishes and tasty treats from chefs and celebrities who cook at home with their kids. Clean Play Club is a great way to get kids excited about food and cooking. Find it on all major podcast platforms and on Instagram at Clean Play Club Pod. Now, enjoy this week's episode. In this special episode, we're breaking away from this season of duos and bringing you a trio. Today's sibling trio are behind Let Us Entertain You Restaurants, a privately held family-owned restaurant group with more than 110 restaurants and 60 unique concepts nationwide. RPM Italian, RPM Steak, RPM Seafood, Sushi-san, Abba, Ramen-san, Bub City, Maru, the Oakville Grill and Cellar, Summer House, Three Dots and a Dash, just to name a few. I'm not going to name them all. I'm going to do whatever the opposite of seniority is and start with Molly. <laughs> Again. <laughs> Thank you. Youngest sibling, Molly Melman, is an executive partner and director of divisional training at Let Us Entertain You Restaurants. She taught kindergarten in the South Bronx through Teach for America, moved back to Chicago in 2008, and began hosting and serving at Hub 51. She then moved into a management role to learn the ins and outs of the operational side of the industry. Middle sibling Jared Melman is an executive partner at Lettuce Entertain You Restaurants. He has opened more than a dozen lettuce restaurants and has also worked with other renowned hospitality groups, including BR Guest Hospitality, Union Square Hospitality Group in New York, as well as In-N-Out Burger in Arizona. Last but not least, oldest sibling RJ Melman is the president of Lettuce Entertain You Restaurants. Since joining the company full-time in 2001, he has held numerous positions with Lettuce, as well as consulting on various restaurant projects outside of the company. He was named president of Lettuce in 2017, and under his leadership, Lettuce has successfully expanded to new markets, including Austin and Miami, with Orlando and Nashville coming soon. Please enjoy this episode as we go beyond the plate with Molly, Jared, and RJ Melman. Thank you all for being here. 
Thanks for having us. Thank you for having us. Of course. It's good to see you. I feel like I usually see you in restaurant mode or at Windy City Smokeout, which can be its own episode in and of itself. For the listener, I definitely reference Windy City Smokeout on the podcast a number of times, but it's an incredible four-day country music and barbecue festival here in Chicago. That is one of mine and my wife's uh, favorite weekends of the year, for sure. All right, crew, the term, I'm using air quotes, lettuce restaurant has been in mine and my family's vernacular since I was like, I mean, as long as I can remember, five, six, seven years old. So we're going to start with a, a quick warm up here for you three. Just say the first thing that comes to mind. RJ, if Jared says he's going to grab a bite to eat, which lettuce restaurant will we likely find him at? What time of day? Lunch. Up 51. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I cheated. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Jared, where will we find Molly? He'll be making a salad at Ema Rotisserie. Like it. Molly, where are we going to find RJ? RJ, lately he's been at Miru during the day, hanging out, doing meetings and eating. I don't know. I think he forgets to eat lunch. (laughs) (laughs) That's funny. All right. So we'd like to touch upon our past and childhood and our upbringing. And, you know, it helps shape who we are as people, obviously. Um, When we had the Voltaggio brothers on a few seasons ago, they shared about each other, about one another as kids. It was pretty fun. So we're going to go and do something similar. I'm going to have RJ tell us what kind of kid Molly was. So we're six years apart. So I, a lot of her formative years, I was out of the house for, but incredibly competitive athlete growing up stubborn maybe a little bit but not in a a bad way and at least when she was two years old had a horrible fear of our terrier (laughs) our dog waiter waiter (laughs) your dog's name was waiter amazing our mom tells a story we're the two oldest are boys and so i don't know what the statistics are but they felt like when they were having a third it was probably going to be a boy and then my mom had a girl and was super excited and when molly was i don't know five or six it was like I'm going to take her to dance recitals. I'm going to get her into ballet. And Molly says, isn't this the year I sign up for baseball? So Molly, uh, I think, developed a love for sports because of us. And like RJ said, was incredibly competitive and probably the best athlete of the three of us. Thank you. That's funny. Molly, are you still competitive? Yeah, probably. I think so. I like to win. I like to win. That's good. Jared, what kind of kid was RJ? RJ, and even when I look at his little son, William, RJ is a happy guy by nature. I think from the time he was young to now, I mean, there is a genuine happiness to him. And he's also one of the smartest people I've ever known from the time we were kids to now. I mean, random trivia, random members of bands. I mean, he just has an unbelievable mind. He knows every answer in Trivial Pursuit. Pick him on your team. Go to trivia night with yeah. RJ. A yeah. happy, smart guy. Does it make you a smarter or a dork? <laughs> Molly, how about Jared? Jared was loud. When he would walk down the hallway outside of my bedroom, he would knock on the both sides of the hallway door every time he walked by just to make his presence known. He was fun. He was. He always had friends around. He always was up to something. They were filming Things in the backyard, like them jumping into snow piles or coming up with some kind of thing in the house. They had a potato launcher that the neighbor came and knocked on our door and wasn't very happy about a potato landing in their backyard. They were they built airplanes. They built all, like little toy airplanes and stuff. I mean, he was always doing something. So I was always curious. I was the younger sibling, so I would just watch. And I can remember him saying, you're not allowed to be in here. And I was like, 
I'll just stay quietly. I won't say a word. And I would just try to like sit and watch him and his friends. But we fought a lot when we were little. But then when we hit high school, we were, I was a freshman when he was a junior and we started carpooling together and our friend group started meshing. So we became pretty close once we hit high school and beyond. Got it. Jared, was the dinner table at home somewhere where your family gathered or were you guys always out at a restaurant? I don't know that dinner time was necessarily when we gathered the most. As you can imagine, our dad worked in a nighttime job, so he wasn't necessarily home for dinner when we were young. But our mom is a really good cook and dinner time, usually during the day at some point in the morning, she'd say, what do you guys want for dinner? And we'd make dinner together. I think more often it was probably me and Molly and my mom, uh, as RJ is a little bit older, but maybe more I think of like special occasions when we'd gather all around the dinner table for Thanksgiving or Rosh Hashanah. We were always the host house for every holiday. Awesome. I also think breakfast was a big yeah. meal. Like our dad was around. We weren't always like eating one, the same thing, but we were always in the kitchen around together before school. And our dad was always there in the morning. In the kitchen, I think like a lot of families, the kitchen was always the gathering spot. It's a room that gets used the most. RJ or anybody, any specific food memory from something mom cooked? Is there a dish you remember loving? You know, it's funny. I, I was in LA last week and I went to this restaurant and I have a buddy named Fred and he said, I really like this chicken bolognese at this restaurant. And I, I didn't know what he liked about it. And then I made it and it tasted, my mom used to make bolognese and it tasted very similar to what she would make spaghetti and meat sauce. But now she wouldn't make it with chicken, but like it really brought back a memory tasting it because it was a very, very similar recipe. No, she'd make pancakes in the morning a lot, French toast. I mean, she was a nice breakfast cook and then did a great job on the holidays. I mean, like she would do an amazing thing every aspect of it. So. We have to mention her carrot cake, of course. Yeah, sorry. She's made this carrot cake for all of our birthdays as long as I can remember, and we serve it at Hub uh, to this day. Um, she made a great meatloaf. She makes good roast chicken. Her stuffing for Thanksgiving oh, is incredible. Oh, her stuffing. <laughs> Love that. Did you all grow up working in any of the restaurants from a young age? RJ wanted yeah, to we, buy we a camera, a toy camera, and my parents said, you better get a job. <laughs> I was seven years old. And uh, they put me to work at what was then our restaurant, Ed DeBevick's, the original one on... Lake Cook? Wells? No, no, no. The original was oh, downtown. downtown. It was uh, Ontario and Wells, I think, or right near there, if I'm off by a street or so. And I got paid 10 cents an hour, which was, of course, the going rate in 1985. <laughs> and I think the toy camera was like $4, so about 40 hours in. But I definitely drank my way in Green Rivers, if you remember that drink. I sucked those down uh, in lieu of... <laughs> And as part of my compensation. Is that a Chicago thing or Midwest thing, Green Rivers? I don't know where they originated. Do those even exist anymore? I haven't seen those in years. You can still get them, I think. Yeah, in the bottle. I think it's a Chicago drink. I actually like the non-carbonated version. It's a slime, isn't it? Is that like green Gatorade? Probably, yeah. Like like Ecto Cooler, probably. (laughs) Molly or Jared, did you all start working in restaurants young? Did any of you dislike it from a young age? No, my my first Jared started before I did. I don't. I mean, against all child child labor laws, I don't know how. But I was my first job was hosting at RJ Grunts when I was sixteen. But Jared, you started at age ten at the original Magianos, right? Yeah, I was. It was sort of a made up job. I took clean plates from the dish area and restocked the side stations. It was maybe like a half of a busser's job. Maybe I did that when I was ten, and then probably more like a real job. I we had a joint venture with Popeye's Chicken. And I worked at that restaurant. It was in Rolling Meadows. It was called Cajun Kitchen. It was like a more upscale Popeye's. And it it just, I remember the 
cast of characters that worked there was a lot of fun. The managers were a lot of fun. No, I just, the time passed quickly. It was always enjoyable. Yeah, I love that. Very cool. So none of you went to school, correct me if I'm wrong, none of you went to school for hospitality management. Is that right? I guess your childhood probably was your hospital, your upbringing was your hospitality (laughs) management. College was a break. From it. Yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> Speaking of which, what did you study at University of Kansas? I studied, I have a, two majors in political science and communications. So I went to Kansas on a debate scholarship of, really? all, of all things. Kansas has one of the best programs in the country. RJ won the state debate tournament his senior year of high school. That's true. How about that? And I was You thought you wanted to be a lawyer or a politician. And then, turns out neither. Interesting. Wait, going into college, did you want to do that? I would have thought that maybe I wasn't. Well, by the time I got to college, I was pretty determined that I was going to go into this industry. I'd started cooking when I was 17. Huh. And I fell in love with it. But yeah, I was recruited to a few schools, Michigan, Kansas, and USC, actually. But I loved the coach who's still the coach at the University of Kansas, who's one of the best coaches in the country. And he was the reason I went there. And uh, named Scott Harris. And uh, that's how I ended up there. But I and debated through college too. Wow, that's really neat. Uh, you started cooking at seventeen in a restaurant. I was uh, like a line cook. Yeah, I started working as a prep cook and line cook uh, at a restaurant downtown, and did that in college too. I worked at Chili's. Actually, I did not make the baby back ribs. I made uh, you made the nachos. Right? The, I made the nachos and the quesadillas. Yeah, there you go. Uh, and uh, then in the summers, I would work at, we have a restaurant called Wildfire. I'd work at the both the original one in downtown Chicago and also Lincolnshire. was cooking there and spent, that was my summers. And I cooked until about I was 24 years old or something like that. And then I said, I don't really want to do this as a career, I think. But I'm glad I did it. I learned a lot about how kitchens operate and how systems work. And Interesting. Really interesting. Jared DePaul? DePaul. I studied communications and I worked in the restaurants while I was there. As RJ mentioned, we're like three and a half years apart. And he was finishing college as I was finishing high school. So he had just moved back. He was living downtown. And I think that's where our friendship really started to turn into the friendship that it is today. You know, like we'd previously been kids. And when I was going to DePaul and he was living downtown, that's when we really, our friend group started merging and we started hanging out. Got it. Got it. And Molly, University of Michigan. Yeah. What'd you study? I studied English and psychology. Okay. And then you moved to New York after college? Yeah. So I had worked for the restaurants summers coming home. I served at RJ Grunts. I was a host at Elwood's. I did the internship program a few times with Lettuce. And then I kind of wanted to try something that was different. I always loved being in the restaurants, but I wanted to try something that that was my own kind of. So I applied to this program called Teach for America, not thinking I would get in. And then I got approved and approved in New York. So it was a big moment for me because I always thought I would end up in Chicago. But I moved out to New York and I taught kindergarten in the South Bronx and learned a lot. And obviously then ended up moving back home. I spent a year in New York and then moved home right as RJ and Jared were opening up Hub 51. So that's when I they needed help at the host stand. So I started hosting there and serving there. And that's when where I began my career. Did you know you were eventually going to come back and join Lettuce? Or did they call you and they were like, Molly, it's time? Neither. <laughs> I, I think I had finished being a teacher in New York. I moved home. I was living at home looking for a place. And literally the day I got back was their first practice party at Hub 51. 
And I went to the practice party and I was there every single night. We, my friends, their friends, it was magical right when it opened. We were all hanging out there day and night and I needed a job for the summer while I was, I was thinking I might start teaching again in Chicago. So I was keeping that option open and going to start interviewing at places in Chicago to teach. And because I was hanging out at Hub all the time, I was like, you know what? They needed help. They had hired a bunch of young host that didn't have a lot of experience and I had hosted a lot. So I was like, I'll jump in and help here and serve and make money for the summer and be here. It's fun to be here anyway. And then when I was going to work every day, I fell in love with it. I loved being around RJ and Jared. I loved being in the restaurant. I loved the energy. So that's when I was like, you know what, maybe I don't want to go into teaching and I, this is making me really happy. That's cool. I love that. I mean, some people run from a family related business and others are extremely excited to be part of it. I think we heard a little bit about a potential path of RJ, but Jared, did you know you would be where you are or was there some other path you may have had in mind? The only other thing that I ever considered or thought about was stand-up comedy, actually. And at some point towards the end of college, I realized the only jobs I've really done are in restaurants. And I didn't think that the life of a comedian necessarily appealed to me. I didn't, the thought of traveling around the country from small city to small city. And I had worked in the restaurants, always enjoyed it. And I thought, well, let me take five years, go into the management training program and sort of see what this is about. And that was like 20 years ago and I haven't really looked back. So yeah, that's awesome. So many people admire and respect your all's father, Rich Melman, who for the listener was on this podcast season one, one of our early episodes. Many would love the chance to have him as a mentor, I think. And so I just want to like put this into perspective a little bit for the listener. People like Danny Meyer, I feel like look up to Rich Melman, Chef Jose Andres talks about Rich Melman, and there's probably a number of other, I mean, hundreds of other industry professionals that do as well. I'll look up to your dad. I did a report on your dad when I was in hospitality management school at Florida International University. What was the nature of the report? We had an assignment that wasn't exciting to me, and I don't remember what was assigned. And I went up to my teacher at the end of the class. I said, may I please do a report on three restaurateurs that I look up to in the industry? And he said, who do you want to do it on? I said, Danny Meyer, Rich Melman, and Drew Nieperent. And so I created basically like an interview stylistic questions and reached out to all of them and they all, everyone replied. And so I created awesome. this report on That's it. Great. I still have it. I should, I should pull it up. I still have it saved awesome. somewhere. Yeah, for sure. Is there something that dad says or you saw him do that sticks with you all to this day? Something you constantly find yourselves referencing? I'm sure... I mean, there's got to be a many, but can you give us an example or share one? There's so there's many richisms. Yeah. yeah, it's give us a richism. Well, I guess he'll say the hardest thing in business is deciding what you want to be. But depending on what day it is, there's different hardest things in business. You know, he'll also say the the hardest thing in business is getting customers in the door. So there's so many just little thoughts and words of wisdom that, depending on the situation, it's like in the back of your mind. I think growing up, the thing that stood out is that as how much he loved what he did, that he was interviewed once and someone asked him what the opposite of work was. And he said, being lazy and it, it like opposite of work and play that was never in his mind. He loved what he did and playing was work and work was playing. So he never turns it off ever. And I think he's always the most prepared person in the room. I think he talks about 
how important it is to be prepared, how important it is to love what you do that for us, he never put pressure on us to be in the business. But he said, find your passion and then work your hardest at it, be the best at whatever it is that you want to be. Because you know, the restaurant business is hard enough. If you don't love what you're doing, it's not going to work out. Yeah, love all that. RJ, you so, want to add? And we have a whole there? book of riches on this. Yeah, I was. I actually pulled it out. It was in my. It's in my. Drawer. Share it. It's what is that an inter, is that an internal thing or he a family wrote a book thing? when uh, when the pandemic started? Him and my mom were in Phoenix, and what he you know wasn't going out and about as much, and he said, "I'm going to write a book," and he took his thoughts about life and business and distilled them into something he calls pocket rich. He only gives it to the partners in the company. That's gold. He's actually working on his second one right now. So that will only be internal. It is an internal. Only internal. But we'll text each other when we're in meetings with him and he'll say something that just makes us laugh. And we'll text each other like pocket rich volume two is just more funny versions. Like don't give up on meatloaf. He said that to one of our chefs <laughs> that didn't make a good meatloaf. <laughs> he said, I, I want to work on a meatloaf. And they said, we've never had any luck selling it. He said, don't give up on meatloaf. I love it. Oh my gosh, pocket Don't rich. forget the meatloaf. Right. Yeah, it's just a, we'll never give up on meatloaf. That's what you just said, right? And we never will. We never will. How do you think you all stay grounded with this name that's been so synonymous with incredible restaurants across the country? Do you guys ever have to keep each other in check? I think, I know Molly and Jared will always remind me when I'm doing something wrong, so I don't have a problem or our that. D- or our dad. <laughs> <laughs> He'll be the first to tell us. That's funny. That's so, funny. Yeah, I don't think there's a... This is one of those businesses that maybe has a little bit of that Hollywood feel from the outside, that it's very glamorous from the outside. But as you're asking that question, I'm thinking about the restaurant that had a pipe break last night and talking to the team this morning and figuring out, okay, well, getting the cleaning crew in there. It's like, it's not always that glamorous on the inside. We've had movies filmed at our restaurants and you go and watch it be filmed and you're like, this is incredibly boring. So... That's where my mind went when you're asking how we stay grounded. The the business itself is humbling. Yeah, it's just a normal, it's normal. Yeah. We had Larry and Mark Forgione earlier this season, and Mark talked about like his struggles when he started cooking in restaurants and having the Forgione name. And maybe it was like a, I don't know, a chef kitchen thing. But how do you carry on that name, like the name or legacy? Is it something you think about? If you work for someone else's name, it makes it very difficult. I mean, we have to... I think all of us are in this industry because we do it for ourselves. And that's true of anywhere. It's like, how would Michael Jordan's son be a a good basketball player? Or or LeBron James is actually more accurate, right? Because he plays. But if Bronny plays for his dad, that's not going to work. That's not a... Yeah, true. And I think for us, our dad's goal with the company was always just to be the best it can be. He didn't have this goal to make it the biggest or the, the richest or whatever. It was about being the best we can be. And for us, I think that's our goal every day is just to make things a little bit better and to keep doing things in a great way, kind of thinking on a, like a smaller scale, maybe. It's an interesting world in organizations because clearly it's almost impossible for Jared, Molly, and I to do something exactly like Rich would do it, right? That is not a like a realistic outcome. We think differently. We have a different approach. We might have similar culture, but you know, even if you took a simple restaurant and had two general managers, they wouldn't approach it the same way. They would come to different conclusions or handle it a little differently or talk a little differently to the people they were dealing with. So I think we have this overarching culture, but I think if you're trapped by what would that person do, it gets really hard. Or I want to do it exactly like them. I think there's a what would they do or how would they want you to handle it versus exactly how they handle it. And there's like a, a separation between the two. Has he been open to your all's 
ideas and whatnot. I, I remember when Wolfgang Puck was on, he was saying how it was pretty amazing how he's remained extremely open to his younger kids and things they bring to him, like for restaurants or new concepts and things like his that. actual children or people who work with him? Actual children. But he did reference younger people that work with him too. So is there something, is there things like that that you do that dad puts in his two cents or... He's always going to reserve the right to put in his two cents. And sometimes it's, oh, that's not what I would do. And then he just leaves. And you're like, okay, great. He is unbelievably open, though. I mean, at the same time, he can be incredibly stubborn. It's not either or. It's I had a professor in college that used to say the answer to everything is it depends. And there are times when he wants outside ideas. And there's times where he's very clear about what he wants. And just like us, I mean, there's times where we're more open to his suggestions than others. So, yeah, yeah. RJ, tell us one thing you depend on Molly for, personally or professionally. Well, she is much closer to the easier, best way to say is the front lines. She is with employees all the time. Training has a really good sense on how the bulk of the company, I think, feels, which is the 7,500, we have about 7,500 employees and 6,500 of those are hourly servers, cooks, and she's so close to that. So her knowledge of that, and then plus what I love about Molly is that she doesn't just train exactly how we train, but thinks about ways to make training better. I just remember she's a zennial at heart, I think, and uh, she wanted to make TikTok videos or, or like snippet videos like how to wash hands. And she's like, this is how people want to, instead of having it reading done. a binder yeah what and reading a washing video was great. I don't know. I, hey, I appreciate it was great. That. I'm serious. But I'm just, you know, that's how people learn these days. Short snippets of videos versus reading a binder. You're never stopping. You know, I think the training program has evolved in your 15 years doing training. It's you've redone it every two years. You know, it's always growing. It's always evolving. Molly, tell us one thing you depend on Jared for personally or professionally. So much. Jared and I spend every day together. We collaborate a lot. We pick each other up if we're having a rough day. We can laugh, we can vent. He has, he oversees our division of restaurants and has just an amazing feel for what's going on with our people. We do all interviews together. I think he's amazing at interviewing. I've learned so much from him interviewing like new hires, new servers, bartenders, managers. Yeah, he's got a really good creative eye. He has a good taste, but there's so much that he does. And I think it's really nice to have that person that you can go to every day, whether things are going really well or you're a little stuck and you need some guidance. Jared, one thing you depend on RJ for. He's going to say nothing. <laughs> no, so much. RJ is like the answer for everything for us. Well, we get asked a lot about what's it like being in a family business. And you can never answer what it's like because it, I don't know other people's families. All I know is my family. And I feel very lucky for all the members of my family, not just RJ, not just Molly, my mom and my dad. But from the time RJ and I started working together, it always... It almost always feels like play, like fun, like we're doing something, we're going on an adventure, we're doing this thing. It doesn't feel like work. And my favorite thing or the thing that I value the most is our ability to collaborate with each other in that he can tell me an idea 
and it's like, we'll add to it. It's never just shut down, you know, and I can tell RJ something and no matter how crazy the thought is, he'll help me flush it out. And I appreciate that more than anything. RJ, you've been part of the creation and opening of more than 25 of Lettuce's most notable concepts. So many of which, Jared, for the record. <laughs> yes, but this question's for you, sir. Many of which we mentioned in the intro, the RPMs, the sushi-sans, ABBA, ramen-sans, et cetera, et cetera. When do you know a restaurant is a success? I think a good first sign, I'm sorry to, inter- to step in here, is if you see it, yeah. someone coming back in that first week, if you see someone that came in on day one comes in on day three, that's usually a good sign to me. Something that people are connecting with it. But let me say this, that I think the word success can be misleading. And the way we build restaurants is you put X number of millions of dollars into it and we pay it off before we take distributions from that. And that could be two years, three years, four years, five years. Just because a place is busy, and I've learned this before too, doesn't mean it's successful financially. It doesn't mean it's paying itself off. You see restaurants all the time. You're like, that place was packed. Why did they close? You know, and then, but I'll go back to something Rich says, which is the hardest thing to do, or at least one of the hardest things to do is getting people in the door. So if they're coming in and coming in regularly, like Jared said, then we could probably figure out the rest of the business to be successful. But it didn't answer, how do you know? And I guess that was the, I guess you have a feeling when you, when it connects, if you're working and you're talking to people, you know, but you also know when it's off track a little bit. Yeah. You make a good point. I mean, uh, there's restaurants that close that people have gone into and they're packed and they're like, I can't believe they closed. They were always busy. It's like, you can be always busy, but if you don't know how to run a restaurant. And I don't believe a claim is one thing that keeps a restaurant open. It's nice to have a lot of people work for stars and those things are wonderful and i think everyone loves to be recognized but that's not a determination of success either or at least financial success or restaurant success no there's always uh, the 20 best new restaurants and inevitably in a couple of years some of them are gone and i think for me it's much more about feeling like we're connecting with the customers than any of uh, any acclaim or awards which are all nice but feeling like you have a lot of loyal guests and fans of the place. I would say one more thing is about success. And, and a lot of time we always get congratulated on having an opening a new restaurant, which is day one really nice. That's, but I also got congratulated on having children, but the mark of success of having children is not having the children. It's actually that they stayed out of jail and had a, uh, they had a productive life beyond us and grew up and maybe they went to college or whatever. And so opening the restaurant is not the sign of success either. It's did it get to college or whatever the graduation of it is for me. So I was going to next ask Molly along the lines of what you are saying. Dad also said to me he's made more mistakes than anyone in the restaurant business, as I'm sure me is in your pocket rich book as well. I've always said lettuce has this like extraordinary knack for finding a mistake if there is one and fixing it. And some like most often that's probably a behind the scenes thing, but a customer, if you do it really well, and I think you all do like doesn't know. Is there any, is there a mistake you all can, and maybe the pipe bursting is a good example. Is there a mistake you can share that you recently made and maybe how you fixed it? This isn't necessarily that recent, but several years ago, we opened up a restaurant called Paris Club where the old Brasserie Joe was. Brasserie Joe was around for 20 years. We felt like the neighborhood was getting a little bit more youthful. So we sort of reimagined a more youthful French restaurant. 
that became Paris Club. Above Paris Club, we opened a nightclub called Studio Paris. It was probably a little confusing that the restaurant was called Club and the club wasn't, but it didn't work. It didn't connect with people. The club was enormously successful, busy, packed, had a great run as, as far as nightclubs are concerned, but we felt like the restaurant wasn't doing what it needed to do. And we tried a bunch of different things to sort of see how we could make that connect with people better. And ultimately, the space got converted into what is now the original Ramen Son and a restaurant called Il Porcellino and one of our Red Sauce Italian restaurants. And so I don't know if that's what you mean, but we created a concept. We worked our hardest at it. We really, we all liked it. We, every thought we had into it at the time and it, it still wasn't enough. So we had to evolve. It had to become something else. And I, th I think something our dad taught us is that if something's not working, the best way to fix it or figure out what's wrong is to be there in the restaurant, that you can't solve issues in the restaurants from your office desk. And if something's wrong, like work service, work the floor, talk to the teams, talk to the guests, figure out if we're not selling enough steaks at a certain restaurant, like figure out what's going on, what people are saying, whatever it is. And kind of the more you observe and the more you listen to what's going on the floor, you can get a lot of answers there. I'm going to get every page of this pocket rich book out of you guys before. <laughs> the... Okay. So we've talked endlessly on beyond the plate, how restaurants have the power to transform a neighborhood, a community. You all, I believe, have done that and continue to do that. RJ, can you share how you think lettuce will continue to stand out in general? I'd like to think that if you're going to look to what we're going to do in the future, you look to the past. Like we love doing new restaurants. We like growing some concepts, but we don't haven't necessarily grown things past eight or 10 of something. Uh, on occasion, we've sold a concept off. But how we continue to stand out is by being, I hope, doing creative new restaurants in Chicago and elsewhere, being parts of those communities and being a great place to work. And I hope that continues for a long time. And I don't know if that's, I don't think we're going to change as much as we're going to be the same in some ways. We're going to keep doing what we like to do. Any pressure, Jared, or anybody, any pressure to constantly evolve? Yes. I don't think there's a day that goes by that we're not working on some component of one of the restaurants, whether that's working on, we were out in Vegas, we just gave our Mexican restaurant El Segundo Sol a facelift out there and just tasting through the menu and working on the most popular items and how can we make those a little bit better. But let's also work on the least popular items and find new things to replace them with. So we've all been in this business a, a long time at this point and it's interesting that some things come back around and some things are popular again. And so there's like a, maybe a desire to both find that new exciting thing, but also realizing that being consistent and having those things that people count on are also a, an important part of the equation. So we had the husband and wife from Birdie's Restaurant in Austin, Texas on the podcast, right when they received Food & Wine Magazine's Restaurant of the Year Award, and they shared their vision for a reimagined restaurant model. That included health and wellness fees on checks and paid time off and parental leave, et cetera, et cetera. Granted, they're one restaurant, which still isn't easy to do as one independent restaurant. You all are over 100 restaurants. Can you share any examples of something you do that may encourage or inspire other restaurants or restaurant groups to do? Like, how do you all approach ideas or concepts of this nature? 
In terms of like health and wellness for our teams? Yeah. I mean, th- this singular restaurant, they're adding health and wellness fees and paid time off and parental leave and these things you're hearing about more and more. Is there anything like that? Let's just even back up a second. You know, I mean, in a lot of ways, when our dad started the company with his best friend, his best friend's mom was a server in restaurants growing up. And our dad's mom was a server in restaurants growing up. And I think the thing that they both observed was that their moms weren't always treated well by the customers and their moms weren't always treated well by their bosses. And that the belief that they wanted their the people that worked for them to be treated well was I think, core to the DNA of the start of lettuce. And I hope it carries through today. And of course, that has evolved over 52 years for what that means. You know, what it meant to be a great employer in 1971 might be a little bit different than 2023. And I hope that we're always trying to be the best employers that we can be. I think our health insurance is very competitive. I think our benefits are very competitive. But it's not enough. I mean, our teams are also, I I think we have a lot of leaders that give back to the community in a really cool way and encourage their teams to get involved in that. We just had, Molly, you can talk about the wellness week that our division just put on. It's clearly, I think, top of mind for a lot of people, the, the balance of their lives, the emphasis on mental health, you know, on the heels of sort of the strangest time that probably any of us remember you know, I think there has been a shift. I think people are thinking about their lives differently. But Mal, do you want to talk about Wellness Week? Do you want to talk about? Sure. Yeah, I think we always want to provide some sort of balance for our teams. And like Jared was saying, we've had people leave the industry, especially after COVID. And we've also had people try day jobs or desk jobs and come back to the industry and and be thrilled to be back in the industry. But we, we obviously know it's challenging and we want to give our teams as much balance as possible. One of our trainers is also a soul cycle instructor. So he organized a wellness week for our teams and there were different exercise programs they could go to. They did a soul cycle class, a berries class, a yoga, a meditation. They also participated in a day at the greater Chicago food depository. So just some really wonderful things that people could connect together outside of the restaurants. And that's something that we hope to continue quarterly, just giving our teams a chance to go to other outlets or have other outlets. I'm going to say something, but, and it's as as advice to other restaurateurs and there's not every year or multiple times a year, we evaluate our benefits. I sit on the insurance committee. How do you make our health insurance more robust? How do we cover more? Are there new experiment, you know, like we're self-insured. So we, I'm highly involved in that part. And then we're evaluating is our 401k enough? Is our whatever benefits that we offer, what new benefits out there should we offer pet insurance? You know, I mean, there's like, you talk about those things, but it's also really important to take care of yourself. And if you want to be generous to the employees, the most important thing you can do is be open and operating. And I don't know if the the husband and wife from Austin, the important part is, does it financially work? Can they still make a living for themselves at the same time? There is a balance between the two. And I'm not, not trying to be cold hearted, but if you can't take care of yourself, it's going to be over time really hard to do that. So, you know, maybe we're more cautious about benefits, although I think we've been at the forefront probably of the industry for a long time. And and we're always looking at ways to make it better. Can we improve our paternity and maternity leaves or, or parental leaves? Can we? And that happens 
like I said, on an annual basis. Um, Andrew, it's not just you on the committee. I mean, you, we have no, 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 managers. I, yeah, no, course. I'm saying that like the cool thing about the committees is that we're listening to our teams and saying like, what are you guys looking for and what, how can we make this better? So we have people on the, as RJ says, the front lines that are helping mold the, the benefits as well. It's also interesting, you know, there's a lot of career people that work for us, that this is their job. And then there's also a lot of people that the number one benefit that they can have is a flexible job, that they're pursuing something else, that, yeah, they're an artist, they're in school, they're actors. Jared started to touch on something with involvement in the community. And it's a nice segue into our social impact and, and giving back section of the podcast, which we celebrate with all of our guests and learning how they do it is in- incredibly inspiring for us and the listeners, whether it's a specific cause or organization. So I would love to, I could throw out some questions, but I'm genuinely curious if you want to share a cause or organization that's meaningful to you all on a personal level, on a, a company-wide level, however you'd like. There's a few that came to mind. I mean, I I sort of mentioned that we, as a group, do a lot with the Chicago Food Depository. We send teams there frequently. We've gone. The other one that came to mind, I I do something with the Israeli Cancer Research Fund, an event called Revolving Tables. I've done that for several years. And then our mom, our whole lives, has worked with a group called Metropolitan Family Services that helps disadvantaged families around Chicago. And that's always been near and dear to our family. Lettuce, I think, historically has not what we host events, have donated space and to help different various causes. You're a charity out there. Just email us. We never say no. (laughs) (laughs) But we've sort of taken the personal approach to to philanthropy that I am. I'm on the board of Northwestern Hospital. My wife and myself are very involved in the Boys and Girls Club in Chicago. So as was involved with Share Our Strength for a long time, Taste of the Nation event here. So it's definitely a large part of all of our time, but we are super committed to being part of the communities that we're in. Depending on when you're in 12, 13 states, how do you pick one organization potentially? For me on a personal level, my best friend from college was diagnosed with breast cancer at age 34 and is in remission for the second time. But her and I work very closely with the Pink Agenda and Breast Cancer Research Foundation. And Benefiting those two organizations, we created an event here in Chicago this past September called Pink on the River that was wildly successful. And the wonderful thing was the restaurants were able to participate in a really meaningful way. And we were able to donate, get a lot of the liquor and food donated. But that's something that we'll continue to do, hopefully, for many years to come. And then... Yeah, I think everything, anything about breast cancer, I'm big on. I love going to and supporting the Lynn Sage Breast Cancer Foundation. There's two things I want to say. One, I say this nearly every episode, but for anyone listening, give what you can. It could be your time. It could be your voice. It could be your dollars. You don't have to have all the money in the world to give back or help an organization or family or individual in need. But also sometimes a dollar or five dollars is extremely helpful using your voice, your social media. You may not have all the followers in the world, but someone seeing something you post on can make an enormous difference. Second thing I want to throw out is I'm just going to say this. I feel like Lettuce Entertain You is like probably one of the most generous organizations, hospitality restaurant organizations in the city. I always say restaurants can do a different event or donate a meal or give 500 portions at this event every single night of the week. And the amount that you all do to support Chicago and beyond 
organizations, giving a private dining room, a dinner for four, whatever it is, is truly extraordinary. And it's probably not even a massive focus of what you all do. But I just got to I want to throw it out there for the listener that given thank the you very much amount of restaurants that this group has, it's pretty extraordinary the amount that they do that you just may not read about or hear about or anything. So yeah, I think it's done more on a like you said, on a smaller level. But uh, it's amazing. All right, let's do a quick speed round and then we'll close it out with one last question. Number one is going to be for all of you. What did you have for dinner last night? We'll go RJ, Jared, and then Molly. Big bowl, chicken curry with vegetables. My wife was out of town. So my, and my best friend's wife was out of town. So he and Molly came over and we grilled chicken and roasted some broccoli and had an arugula salad and it was delicious. Can't believe you stole Molly's. (laughs) <laughs> my answer was going to be the same as jared's regardless <laughs> <laughs> that's funny number two jared what pisses you off in the dining room i try not to get pissed off in the dining room uh, <laughs> maybe when tables are waiting to be bust and there are people waiting at the front door to be sat i you know i like to be respectful of our guests time and i think Something our dad taught us growing up, no matter what kind of game you're having on the field, you can always hustle. You might go 0 for 4 at the plate, you might miss every shot, but you can hustle. And that's one of those things that I think people appreciate that hustle. And when you bust that table quickly and care about getting it reset quickly, I hope the people waiting appreciate that on some level. I'm sure you've been at a restaurant before where you're like looking at the table that's sitting there dirty. Come on, I'm next. Let's go. That. Got it. Molly, what makes you happy in the dining room? I mean, kind of off off that same line, I think something I look for when walking around is engaged guests with each other. If a guest is looking around, that means that they need something. But if a table's not bust that a guest is sitting at, there's some kind of breakdown happening in service somewhere. So I think when like that energy that happens, there's good conversation, they're laughing, servers are moving, everyone's kind of in their rhythm. I love seeing that. Obviously, a full dining room as well. I love seeing that as well. Full. Full, yeah. <laughs> um, that's funny. I sat at the bar at Oakwood like a month ago, and I was reading Oakville the menu. Oak, Oakville, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Oakville. Oh. And I was reading the menu, and I like looked up, and within not even three seconds, the one of the bartenders saw me look up, and it wasn't the one who had been helping me, and he just was right. It, I was like, you totally saw me looking up, and he's <laughs> like, I did. It was amazing. Love that. Yeah. RJ, what compliment do you love to hear most when people talk about the restaurants? I love twofold. One, they said this person was really helpful or took great care of us, that they cared about me. I had a great server. I had a great experience on the phone, whatever it is. But one of my favorite concepts is, or compliments is, someone says, I had something special happen here. This was my anniversary spot. This is my birthday spot. I love it when People feel like this is a place so they can celebrate their special occasions and how it's clearly I want them to eat here when it's not a special occasion also, but that they associate X restaurant with their special night out. That's a really nice thing. All right. In closing out, same question for each of you. I would love for you, or it's not really a question. I would love for you each to share a resource for up and coming F&B, food and beverage, hospitality professionals, a resource that you would suggest could be a book could be a website, could be a podcast, anything. The internet's probably too broad. Yeah. <laughs> it's a great suggestion. 
How to open a restaurant. Instagram, yeah. Pinterest, in and GPT. a website. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Some resource. Let's start. Go to with. our website. Look up our bios and email us. That you. We love talking to anyone that's doing this. Anytime anyone's open a, a restaurant, I have a just a tremendous respect for how challenging that's going to be and how consuming that's going to be. So, but I also think we live in a time where it's easier to learn about this business than ever. Any resource for you, Molly? Yeah, I don't. I think my first thought was just to to get to know people in the industry, and that's I maybe that's not helpful, but I don't have a single resource that I would recommend. But I think it's just getting to know people. And if you, I mean, obviously, if they're at the point where they're creating restaurants, they've hopefully worked in restaurants. But for the younger listeners, it's like getting an internship, going and working in the restaurant, seeing if you like it, getting to know people, finding mentors within the restaurant, and going from there. We are fortunate to be born with a built-in resource. We call our resource. Yes. You know, we were in a family that has an encyclopedia of this business available. So maybe we haven't had to look outside as often as other people. But I definitely agree that I have found that people in this industry generally are open to teaching and talking. And at least in my own position, I have a lot of friends who are in the restaurant industry. I think all of us do. And reach out to the leaders of the industry. And I think you'll be surprised how open they are. like it. Thank you all very much for your time. I really appreciate it. This was fun. I feel like I could have honed in on one topic with you all. And just like I said at the <laughs> beginning, we could do a whole episode on smoke out, probably a whole episode on uh, our concept. We're happy to come back and do an episode on smoke out if you want. We it's love smoke out. Our favorite weekend of the year. So. <laughs> but really appreciate your time. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks again to RJ, Jared, and Molly Melman. Find RJ on Instagram at RJ Melman. Find Jared at Jared Melman. And find Molly at Molly Melman. To learn more about some of the organizations mentioned in this episode, such as Boys and Girls Clubs of Chicago, Greater Chicago Food Depository, Israel Cancer Research Fund, Metropolitan Family Services, Share Our Strength, The Pink Agenda, and Breast Cancer Research Foundation, check out the episode notes, and we'll also link to them at beyondtheplaypodcast.com. Find me and keep up to date with this podcast across all social media at On Kathy's Plate, or go to beyondtheplatepodcast.com. Beyond the Plate is also on social at BT Plate Podcast. This episode was produced by myself, along with Ian Cohen, Joel Yetten, and Sean Petrosian. Our digital media producer is Sarah McClellan Mead. Our music has been composed by Goldford. Find him at iGoldford. As always, a special shout out to my wife, Katie. If you have a moment, would you be so kind as to rate or review and subscribe to this podcast on your listening site of choice? And don't forget to join us next Wednesday for an episode of Beyond the Drink, our companion podcast of Beyond the Plate, brought to you by our friends at Ford's Gym. And also our brand new podcast called Clean Play Club. Clean Play Club is a family-friendly podcast that is kind of like story time, but with recipes. You can find it on all major podcast platforms and on Instagram at Clean Play Club Pod. Thank you for listening to Beyond the Plate. I'm Cappy. And remember, there are never too many cooks in the kitchen.